Well, bless you. We're so glad you're here today. Do you need a friend? Last week we had friend day and I'm just continuing this same, this same uh, thread. Um, I mentioned last week that uh, George Gallup had done a poll of Americans finding out what are the, what are the top things that you feel like that you need in life. And one of the top six was friendship. And last week we started to look at the relationship between David and Jonathan. We looked from Samuel, from 1 Samuel chapter 20, and started to see what a wonderful relationship that these two had and how it was intertwined with a father that was the king. And uh, we, we, from that message, we got four, four features of a friend. We looked at this last week, and I'm just going to review just for a moment. Four features that we see from friendship in this story between Jonathan and David. Number one is a friend is available. So important that we learn how to have friends and how to be a friend. How important our friends are, whether they influence us positively or whether they influence us negatively. Friends have lots of power um, and impact on our lives. Amen. Who you hang out with is going to have impact on your life. And a good friend we saw with Jonathan and David is that friends are available. You can always count on them when you need them. Number two is dependability. A friend is dependable. Now, we see this in the story of Jonathan and David. And if, if you're a little bit behind, then go and download this from our website. But what we want to see is not what we see out of our friends, but what we see out of ourselves being a friend. Are we available? Are we dependable? Where are we as a friend? If Let me just tell you this. If you put much into the relationship, if you will focus more on being a friend rather than having a friend, if you will focus on investing into the relationship, being the first to initiate the relationship, being the giver of the relationship, after a while, you won't need friends. You will be a friend. Does that make sense? I made, the, I made the statement, I think, last week and then again this morning that if you want a return on a stock, you have to invest in it. If you didn't invest in Yahoo or in Amazon or any of those big computer stocks back in the day, you got nothing from it. Same thing with friendship. If you don't invest in the friendship, what are you looking to get from it? You've got to invest in friendship. Same thing with your walk with Christ. And that's what we're ultimately going to see is what are you investing into your walk with Christ? Or are you only looking to receive? Because it doesn't work like that. Relationship doesn't work like that. Marriage doesn't work like that. You want a successful relationship? Be the investor in the relationship. Don't always be the withdrawer. Because eventually the account's going to get empty. There's going to be nothing there. We've got to initiate it. That's what Jonathan was to David. Number three is a good friend is vulnerable. Being open, transparent, vulnerable to those that you really love. I believe the price of friendship is vulnerability. I believe a friendship never develops to its highest level until it becomes transparent and open. You can't develop close relationships, stiff arming them and keeping them at a distance all the time. 
you have to be willing to let them get inside. The same thing we happen with happens with God is we want to have a God that's here, not here. Stay out here, and when I need to pull the trigger, God, then give me everything I need, but don't come in and change my life. Same thing with friendships. I'm going to keep you right here. Stay there. We never let them in. And you know what? Sometimes it even means being willing to be hurt, to lay yourself bare before them. That's what Jonathan and David had. Do you remember how Jonathan was vulnerable? Do you remember how David said, Jonathan, I think your dad's trying to kill me. Jonathan said, nah, you don't know him. My dad's the king. He tells me everything. I know everything. David said, I don't think so. I think he's trying to kill me. And Jonathan said, okay, I'll go check it out. You go stand out here and hide. We'll work something out. I'm going to shoot some arrows and we're going to figure out a way to let you know whether God's, whether Saul is trying to kill you. So, so Jonathan goes back to the feast and everybody's around the table and David's seat is empty. And Saul said, where's David? Where's David? And Saul burned with anger. And Jonathan said, dad, it's okay. David hasn't done anything. What's he done? What's he done to you? Really? Give him a break. And what happened? Saul picked up a spear and slung it at him. And at that point, Jonathan realized David may be onto something. I think he's trying to kill him. In fact, he's trying to kill me. Jonathan made himself vulnerable before the king to find out where, where David was, right? Jonathan's life's now at risk, right? And you can see how he was vulnerable, how he set himself up to be hurt. But finally, a good friend is responsible. Now, as a son, if my dad or the king throws a spear at me, I might second guess going back out into the field to tell David what the problem is. Because I might get caught. Right? But but Jonathan was responsible. He went out and fulfilled what he told David that he would do. Do you have friends that you know no matter come, come hell or high water, they will stick with you. And what kind of feeling that gives you? What kind of feeling a good friend gives you? That's what Jonathan and David had. And look right here from the last verse we looked at. When the lad was gone, David rose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times and they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept more. This is when Jonathan went out and said, David, my dad is trying to kill you and you have to go. And David, it says that David wept more. Why? I believe that there comes a time. I believe that there comes a time in a friendship when David realized that Jonathan was the giver to the relationship. He realized that Jonathan was the risk taker. And I always believe that when a friendship provides security and proves that there is true friendship, that the one who receives the most in it will weep more because that person realizes what a true friend they have. Have you ever come to that point when you realize this person is really my friend. And what kind of feeling that gives you? What kind of feeling that gives you? That's what we're after, is true friendship. And this morning, we're going to look at four um, levels, and we're going to look at three levels of relationship. Relationship number one is the acquaintance level. Now, I also want you to try to tie this together with your relationship with the Lord. The acquaintance level is, I know who you are. I might even know your name. You know who I am. You might even know my name. 
we just pass, we shake hands. This is my relationships. Some, you know, some people I just know on an acquaintance level. You know what? This is where most Christians like to keep God is on an acquaintance level. God, I know who you are, but I want to keep you right here. I know who you are, but I don't know much about you. This is where a lot of times we keep our general relationships. But then we step into the next level, the brotherly relationship. This is a little bit more deeper. This is where I know all that you're about. And you know everything that I'm about. I take the time to get to know you. I take the time to find out who you are. I take the time to care about you. But then finally, there's the close level. This is where there is intimacy. This is where there is vulnerability and there's openness. It's the friendship and it's the relationship that you and I want out of life. The close level. This is the relationship that we want with God. Is a close relationship. And as we end today, you know, I believe that most are either at the acquaintance level or the brotherly level. We have never achieved the close level. Maybe you'd say, well, pastor, how do I get to the close level with my friends out here on this earth, with my with my friends that I have? You know, you remember we talked about in America that it was one of the six basic needs. Well, I'm going to give you eight things in closing this morning that you can apply to your life to start to achieve, to come into that close level. And this also goes right along with your relationship with Christ. How do I enter the close zone? And I have a clip and the computer's turned off back there. I meant to tell them. I, Joe was supposed to remind y'all. Just get my, my, my own. Here, turn the, turn the computer channel back on. And I'll just give y'all the, can't let y'all miss this. This is so good. You are now entering the close zone. All right. <laughs> now, all those that are clapping are from a generation. The younger ones are like, what was that? That was weird. How do we enter the close zone? Either with, with relationships here on this earth or with God. Number one, we have got to be real. We have got to be real. We can't play a game out here. No relationship uh, gets to this level until there is realness to it. You know, I read, I, I found this story inter interesting that I read a, a while back about a nurse who was in the Persian Gulf from a few years ago. And she called back home and she called her mom and said, Mom, I've met this guy and I'm really kind of wanting to get to know this guy. He's a pretty cool guy. You know, and I'm, I'm kind of wanting to start relationship with him. But they won't let us wear makeup here so he doesn't know what I really look like. Isn't that true? Now, I'm not against makeup. We're not going down that road. I'm not against makeup. But how many... Put on the makeup, put on the facade, put on the covering in our relationships. How many times do we walk through life, life with this facade or this barrier and people really never get to know who we really are? And we act just like the nurse. We have got to be real. 
you know, I, I, I get kind of funny with my relationships. You know, I've, we've, we've just had a few people join the worship team and, you know, people join our teams. Michelle came on to our staff. She's uh, the secretary of our staff now. And I always a little bit down deep in my in my spirit. I'm a little bit afraid when they really see who I am. They're not going to like it. You know, because when we start hanging out together all the time, you start to see. You know, uh, with the worship team, you know, I'm, I'm going to I'm probably going to rub you wrong a little bit, but hang in there with me. Hang in there with me. I'm, I'm I, I can't be I can't keep from being real. I can't play a game with you, especially in worship. We get up here and we play a game. It's going to get it's going to get seen. It's going to get identified and we're going to have a problem. We have got to be real in our worship or it is going to it is going to be fake and it is going to fail. Same thing in preaching. I can't, I've got to be who I am. So you're going to have to receive me for who I am. And I'm trying all the time to fix my quirks as much as I can. But I've got to be real. And I worry sometimes when y'all really get to know me, will y'all still hang with me? But it's in God's hands. If I'm really going to get close to you, you're going to have to find out who I am. If you're going to get close to someone else, you're going to have to find out who they are. And in marriage, you know, we sit here and we court and we have relationship and then we get married. And then reality sets in. Who is this that I married? My wife could say that many times. I started off as a businessman, becoming a worship leader, became a pastor. And I'm sure she wakes up some mornings. Who have I married? But when we really start to have relationship, it's important. It never becomes it never becomes real until it becomes real. How about that? Does that work? All right. Number two, you got to be realistic. You know, we have this little bit of a quirk or, or this this way of living where we where we have what feel like in a, the beginning of a relationship. We've got to have this public image. Uh, it's a statement that we make putting your best foot forward. You know, and everybody does that. You know, you do that in your relationship when you start to get to know somebody. But, you know, the flip side of that is the other person's doing it, too. We want to make ourselves appear as good as we can. Right. We want to ma- we want to make sure that we at in, in initially we try to look as good as we can. But when we start to approach the close level, you don't always have to put your best foot forward. Your hair can be messed up. You cannot have on your best clothes. You may not have showered yet that morning, you know, and this is all physical, but I'm just saying you don't always have to have it together. Realism in the relationship. And remember, in any relationship, it's probable that sometime in that relationship, that person is going to let you down. Do you know that in every relationship, if you hang in there long enough, the person is probably going to stumble at some point. So are you. Why? Because we're human. We are not perfect. And it's true in marriage. You know, we get married and we have our first fight and it's like, oh my gosh, we are, we're, we're, we're doomed. No, you're married. Amen. You have your first child and all of a sudden things change again and you have another fight. Robert, number five. You know, you're married. You're in relationship. You're going to have ups and downs. The problem is we hold each other to such a high standard that we can't take a failure. And the other person, the person on the other side is the same way. We're human. I'm human. You're human. We are full of failures. 
and we're full of frailty. And it means that sometimes we're, we're in the flesh. And there are times that we're not the person that we're supposed to be. And there will be a time in a relationship where your idealism is crushed. It's okay. Remember, you've done it to others. In this realistic relationship, what you need to do is separate the action from the motive. Does the person really intend to hurt you? How many times have you been in a relationship and you've done something wrong, but your heart was right? But the relationship was broken and ruined because of the way it was received. It happens all the time. And so many times with Elizabeth and myself or my kids or relationships that I have with with people in church or in the business world, I have to step back and say, did that person really intend to hurt me or did they just mess up? Because I need these friendships. I need these relationships. You know, and in some of my best relationships, they really weren't formed until we had a difference. It took conflict to get us to the next level. Because are, the, are you going to accept my mistake and am I going to accept you making mistakes? Because if I'm not, we can't go forward. Because you're going to make another mistake. And so am I. You've got to be realistic. Even as your pastor, I am going to mess up. I mean, I've messed up three or four times already this morning. It's going to happen. God's still on the throne. I'm still covered by the blood of the lamb. I can repent of my sin and be cleaned of my of my sins. And I can be restored as though it never happened. If I will approach my king just like that. But I, if I feel like I've got to walk this, this stage and never make a mistake, I can't do it. And your, your idealism sometimes will get crushed in my mistake. No, no. Is my heart right? Is your heart right when you mess up with me? All right. Well, we can move forward. Are you with me? Realistic. Where's the heart? We're not perfect. Number three, be affirmative. Did you know that every person has a, has a hidden sign, has an invisible sign around their neck that says, make me feel important? That says, I want to feel important. I want you to make me feel important. You want to be, you want to have, you want to get rid of this George Gallup poll of needing friends. Let me tell you how to have a friend. Make your friend feel important. Don't be self-centered and always wanting them to make you feel important. Make them feel important. One thing I've learned in friendship is that if I'll be quiet and ask, be quiet and listen or ask them about themselves, I'll make a friend. If all I want to do is talk about myself, they won't stick around very long. Do you hear that? We have to be the initiator. We have to be the bigger person. You want a friend? Be the bigger person. Affirm others. Don't live for yourself. Quit trying to feel important in others' eyes and make them feel important about themselves. I promise you, you'll develop the relationship. Number four, be available. When things go wrong in people's lives, be there. Don't wait for someone to die to send them flowers. Don't wait for tragedy to do something. Do something now. Do something now. How many times have you received a card in the mail, just in general, just somebody saying, I just was thinking about you and just was praying about you and I just wanted to encourage you for a minute. 
And it was right at the time that you had to have it. Do something now. Be available now. Did you know that the difference between sharks and dolphins, there's a lot of differences. But when a shark is wounded and is bleeding, let me, let me step back. Sharks and dolphins swim in schools. They stay in groups together. But the difference in dolphins and sharks, when sharks get injured, the other sharks eat it. They kill it. They devour it. But dolphins nurture it, protect it, nurse it back, take care of it until it can get healthy. Which one are we? Do you see that we need to be available? A good friend is available. A place of safety and protection and healing. Number four, number five, be balanced. What do you mean? I mean, this is an unbalanced world. We are unbalanced people. How can unbalanced people be balanced? You know, I'm, I have my unbalanced tendencies. But what I'm saying is it can't always just be give. It can't always just be take. It's got to be give and take. You can't just take from the relationship. I'm kind of doubling up here, but you've got to also give to the relationship. You've got to give. You've got to take. It can't be all giving. There has to be a balance. And I'm talking about being intimate and yet at the same time, maybe giving space. Do you know in relationships, sometimes the other person needs a little bit of space? You can't just overpower them. And you don't want to be overpowered. You don't want to be manipulated. You don't want to be controlled. So it's important that you recognize where you are in the relationship. Number six, be growing. I can promise you today that a marriage that has gone bad is a marriage that has stopped growing. One is growing and the other isn't, or both aren't. I can almost guarantee you that a relationship that disintegrates is because one grows and the other doesn't. They don't grow together. And do you know if you're not growing together, you're growing apart. It's the same thing with your walk with Christ. If you are not growing with Christ, you are growing apart from Christ. I had a spelling error. Laurie Matthews showed me this is supposed to be G-R-A-T-E, if you will. Another mistake. It happens. I think I just got the word wrong. Grateful. Be grateful in your relationships. Tell your friend you're thankful to have them. Tell God you're thankful for your friends. Do you know that in our, in our society today that parents aren't looking to what kind of friends their kids have? How many knows that your friends impact you? My dad always said you stick around, you, you, you hang around, um, how can I say this? Yeah, thank you. Did anybody hear that? You hang around number two long enough, you'll start to stink. Doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong, but if you're hanging around the wrong people, it will start to get off on you. And how, how important it is that our kids choose good friends. How important it is that we as adults choose good friends because they are going to impact us. And we're going to impact them. And Pete had a, uh, uh, a party a while back and um, he had a birthday party and a swim party and he was inviting friends. And... We were going through the list, and he invited a bunch. And uh, one, one child he is friends with, he, he considers a good friend, but he didn't invite him. And I'm like, Pete, why didn't you invite so-and-so? And he said, he cusses. He said, I'm a friend of his. I'll hang with him, but I can't have him over there. I, I know what you expect, and he, I, I can't have him there. 
Well, he does. He's on the basket. They're on the basketball team together and they play a lot together. They're together a lot in organized. He's nice to him. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get our situation to square here in just a minute. But in the party, Elizabeth and I were just kind of looking around. Who's, who's he inviting? Who are these kids? Who are their parents? What are they about? And, you know, the funny thing with Pete is he came and grabbed us after the, after the uh, party and said, what would you think of my friends? And you know what? He's aware. We're not perfect. We're not high and mighty. Believe me, y'all hang with me long enough. You know we make mistakes and do our things. But it's important, parents, that you watch who they're with. And you have responsibility even if you make them mad. Make them mad but do the right thing. They'll thank you for it later. They won't thank you today. They might even say some hateful things. Well, that comes with the territory. But are you going to parent the kid or are their friends going to parent them? Or is TV going to parent them? Are you with me? Be grateful for the friends that you have. I'm thankful for the friends that I have. And I need more. And I need to be a better friend. Finally, be God's friend. Be a friend of God. If you really want to know friendship, if you really want to know intimacy, be a friend of God's. If I were to stand here today and tell you that there is a friend who will accept you just the way you are. That there is a friend that would always be with you. That there is a friend that will help you change in areas that you need change. That there's a friend that will always be the same. I think every one of you would buy into that friendship. I want to read from you uh, an excerpt from from the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer, who's arguably one of the most influential evangelicals. Um, It says that there is a tremendous relief in knowing that God's love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. So that no discovery can now disillusion him about me in the way that I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench and quench his determination to bless me. There is certainly great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all the twisted things about me that my fellow men don't see and that he sees more corrupt corruption in me than that which I see in myself. And he wants me as a friend and desires me to be his friend And has given his son to die for me. In order to realize that purpose. God knows everything that you are. He knows everything that you ever will be. Yet he still desires you. He still desires you as as his friend. How do you become a friend of God? How do we cross over. From just having. Having said the sinner's prayer and say, yes, I'm a Christian, but I have no relationship. Maybe you're someone that has never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have, but you've never passed that level, that zone. You've never passed from the acquaintance zone to the brotherly zone or from the brotherly zone to the close zone. How do we do that? Number one, we recognize the need to know God personally. You know, Elizabeth and I constantly are having to stand, are having to seek God for a miracle. 
How many here needs a miracle this week? How many here needs breakthrough like you've never needed it before? Well, let me tell you, if you don't know God, how can you know what to believe for? You know, you just know what your needs are, but I want you to know that God's word tells us that he supplies all of our needs. All of them, from your financial to your health, to your relationship, to your job, to your marriage. But how can you stand on that if you are at the acquaintance level? How can you know if you just know God's the creator? Maybe you don't even know God's the creator. But you know there's a God and you've received that. You've asked, you've prayed the sinner's prayer, but you don't know him. You've got to recognize that you have a need to know him. Number two, you've got to accept his love for you. You've got to accept, you know, in meeting with people that are just battling with forgiveness or with their mistakes, they can't forgive themselves. There's got to come a time when you can forgive yourself. And accept God's love and the fact that he loves you regardless of what you've walked in here with. It's time to say, okay, I give him that sin that I did. Or I give him that thing that I did to my child or to my, or to my wife or to my job or to my parents. And Lord, I accept your love and I accept your forgiveness. But that's not enough to accept it. Number three, you have to invite him in. You have to invite him into your life for eternal friendship. Do you know that Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If you will just open the door, I'll come in. And maybe you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you have kept him here. And you have never let him in. Do you know that he's not going to he's not going to demand? He's not going to come in and control. He's not going to come in and overpower you. He's a gentleman. And he's going to come in if he's invited. And you have to invite and say. Come in. Would you come in? Would y'all pray with me? Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I just ask you to help us to recognize our need for relationship with you. And Lord, I know that I need I need to do better. I need more intimacy with you. I need to be able to let you in more. Lord, I just ask you, those that may have been saved for years and years and years, but have kept God at a distance. Lord, help us to put our guards down. Scripture says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory can come in. You must lift up the gate. You must open up the door. For the king of glory desires to come in. Maybe you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never prayed that prayer. Well, today is that day. If that's you and you say, Pastor, I have never made that commitment. And I want Jesus. I want you just to slip your hand up. No one else looking around. You just say, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. Well, maybe you have received Jesus Christ, but you have kept him at a distance. I want to pray for you. I know that many of us are at that point right there. 
Lord Jesus, I just pray over this congregation that we would be willing to let our guard down and, Lord, let you in. We're afraid of being hurt. We're afraid of being hurt in personal relationship. But, Lord, I believe the relationship needs to start with you. You stand at the door and knock. Well, Lord Jesus, as the pastor of this church, we invite you in. Help us to bring our guard down and to receive you as friend. To get to know you. To get to know you personally. Maybe you have a health need today. Maybe you have a relationship need. And we want to pray with you. Would y'all stand up with me and those ministering, come on forward. We want to pray with you today. Church, this is a step into intimacy right here is believing God to help you in the problems that you have right now. Would you step out and let us pray with you, whether it's a marriage or whether it's financial or whether it's physical healing that you need. I want you to know that my God is Jehovah Rophi, the Lord, our healer. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. My God can supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Just step on out and let us pray with you in Jesus name. Amen.